This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Suyuno Amos. I'm Kenji Cataldo. We are back from our break with a new season of interviews with HPF community partners. We are thrilled to introduce you all to our 31 grantees from this year's grant cycle, an even bigger cohort than last year. We'll be featuring 18 new hui and following up with 13 returning community partners to hear where they've gone in the past year. We have a lot of exciting stories to share with you this year, so if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Hawaii Rising so you never miss an episode. We're kicking off our new episode with an interview with Joy Enomoto and Kyle Kajihiro from Hawaii Peace and Justice. Hawaii Peace and Justice is a longtime HPF grantee working to promote peace, social justice, and EA in Hawaii through community organizing, popular education, nonviolent direct action, and art as a tool for social change. Hawaii Peace and Justice is building power to dismantle oppressive structures such as the military political economic complex that prevent Kanaka Maoli sovereignty. Joy and Kyle are experienced organizers with incredible knowledge about the way these forces interact and function. And we learned so much from their perspectives on some of the most pressing issues around militarism that they both, along with other community organizers and activists, are challenging in Hawaii right now. Here's our interview, which we recorded last month. So we are sitting here in the Hawaii Peace and Justice office with Kyle Kajihiro and Joy Enomoto. And would you both just like to introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about Hawaii Peace and Justice and how that organization came to be? Sure. Um, so I'm Kyle Kajihiro. I'm a board chair, I guess, of Hawaii Peace and Justice. Um, and formerly um, the uh, coordinator of the American Friends Service Committee, which was the precursor of Hawaii Peace and Justice. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, the space that's been involved in social movement work going back to the early 1970s uh, when the American Friends Service Committee was doing demilitarization work. And I started working here in 1996. And when the AFSC closed uh, our office, we decided to take the work and spin it off and create Hawaii Peace and Justice. So that's the beginnings of this um, organization. Right, and I'm Joy Lehuanani Inamoto. I am what is the COA Futures organizer for Hawaii Peace and Justice. And I just started working here at the end of May 2022, but have been following HBJ uh, since at least 2010, um, gone on detours, and been involved in DMO work for a really long, for like the best decade or so, um, yeah. Can you share just um, what HPJ's mission is and an overview of the different activities you all have going on under that? Do you want to take the mission? Well, um, I, don't, I don't have it memorized <laughs> off the top of my head, but it's to basically work uh, to build conditions for peace and social justice in Hawaii and then beyond Hawaii in solidarity with other uh, movements that are working for, for justice and peace. Um, and we believe that in order for Hawaii to really have social justice, we have to address the fundamental problems of the U.S. occupation of Hawaii and the taking of Hawaiian lands uh, and the kinds of environmental, social, cultural um, violence that's done to this place. So that's, so that's why demilitarization is a, a central 
piece of our um, program work, um, but we don't limit it only to that. We see that as intersectional with other struggles. Um, and, and so depending on our capacity, we try to support um, you know, other movements that um, need our, our support, our solidarity. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of programming, we have three sort of major campaign areas. Uh, one is the Red Hill, shutting down the Red Hill storage facilities that the Navy poisoned us with. Uh, the members of, some members of HBJ were among the first Oahu water protectors, uh, some of the founding members of that, um, and continue to be kind of uh, involved with, with that organization, with that work. Um, but also building out a much longer campaign around uh, the Navy's presence and its impact. Uh, another area is looking at RIMPAC, uh, the Rim of the Pacific exercises and all sort of military exercises that exist in Hawaii and throughout the Pacific. And out of that, we're doing a lot of international uh, solidarity, alliance building, uh, planning to develop, hopefully develop some sort of new formation, like an NFIP or a Oceania Rising formation coming up before, the ne before 2024 when RIMPAC comes back again, uh, to really think about regionally how do we address the buildup of, of, by the United States and the Indo-Pacific, by the United States and Australia and other major powers who are positioning themselves against China. Um, and one that's really major uh, and will that is really important in terms of our campaigns is the army leases that are coming up in 2029. Uh, we are starting to develop out, you know, people have already started doing testimony and organizing against that, but we're trying to build out a longer strategy to address that and a more how to build power toward that. And we're not the only ones, you know, working for that. I mean, it's kind of like a, a land back campaign here in Hawaii, but it's addressing mm -hmm. these military occupied lands. Um, but other groups like Huli uh, are, you know, interfacing with the Indian Collective and some of the indigenous groups working on land back um, to try to integrate and learn from their struggles uh, how, and strategies how we might, you know, uh, do that work here. But also developing knowledge and strategy from the grassroots. So the communities that are frontline to this, Makua, uh, Kahuku, uh, Wahiawa, uh, Hawaii Island, Pohakuloa, um, people have already been doing this work for a long time. So it's about how do we support, what is the best role for uh, an intermediary group like ours to build that kind of capacity and do that organizing and support the frontline struggles that are happening. Yeah, we're also doing, um like uh, political education workshops with Hui'aloha Aina o Honolulu. So we have developed a series of workshops to look at the history of militarization in Hawaii with them. Uh, so they're helping, you know, so we're working collaboratively with them to just kind of expand people's education, knowledge around the impacts of militarization. The, and that kind of education has been going on a long time, but uh, this is sort of like for a new generation of folks who are kind of coming up through the Red Hill uh, and, and making, looking at militarization through new eyes. Uh, so it's, that's pretty exciting work that we're doing as well. Well, those, those modules are really um, uh, exciting because they're 
um, participatory, right? So they get the participants to actually role play and engage with like the real issue and how do you uh, understand and analyze it and then address that. Um, I just add one other um, piece of program work, which is not like, you know, it's never been like formally uh, described in our um, organizational description, but it's doing uh, what we call the detours. Uh, so demilitarization or decolonization tours got shortened into detours. And something I've been doing with Terry Kiko'olani for a long time. Uh, it started out as just us trying to do solidarity work with visiting activists and scholars uh, and familiarizing them with the history and some of the struggles in Hawaii and communities in struggle. And then uh, having the conversation at that point about what can we do together? How can they support what's happening here? And we found that it was really important to undo and unlearn stuff that people had learned, uh, mislearned about Hawaii. Right? There's so much um, uh, kind of fantasy uh, discourse out there about Hawaii that the tourism industry produces uh, that just makes us into a place that's like a paradise, a playground. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, they don't take it serious is what we found. Uh, and it's, Hawaii is just there for their enjoyment. And so we wanted to cut that and, and intervene and say, no, you know what? This is a place that's pivotal to the building of American empire. And if we don't contend with it in that way, uh, um, empire continues to make wars all over the world. So we have to deal with this source of war making that's right here in this island. So um, kind of along those lines of, you know, the people that you see coming up through Red Hill uh, and the political education that you're doing and that, that feeling like a success. What are some of the other wins or successes that you've seen in this work since you've been involved um, across all the programs? Yeah, uh, I think, well, you know, back in the, back in the day <laughs> when, we, when we had um, some other staff that were doing youth work and um, uh, LGBTQ organizing, gay liberation organizing, uh, we won a statewide policy to ban discrimination against queer youth because uh, at that point they weren't being protected and there was a lot of uh, violence directed at them uh, during the, um, the constitutional amendment that, that was uh, trying to ban, you know, um, same gender marriage. Um, we also won uh, some changes in the uh, um, policy that allowed schools to, or allowed the military to access student um, information if they took the ASVAB test. The Arms Services Vocational Battery test was offered as a vocational aptitude test and um, it was free and so a lot of schools opted for it but they didn't know and the students weren't and their parents weren't told that all that information was going to the recruiters. So we, we tried to shut down that loophole and require that the ASVAB was uh, the default for ASVAB tests was that no information was released unless the student opted in and their parents opted in. So those are some small wins. Um, another one we had was uh, getting the Marine Corps to uh, stop their proposal to do jungle warfare training in Waikane Valley. So this is a valley right on, in Windward, Oahu that uh, the military used during World War II, returned it to the family, Kamaka family. Uh, Uncle Raymond Kamaka started farming there and finding bombs. And so he called on the military to clean up the mess. And instead they said, well, it's too expensive too dangerous, we think we'll condemn the land. And they did, right? they fought in court and the family lost. And so um, it basically broke him, you know, it just really killed him. And, um, but then in 20, 2004, the Marines said, well, maybe we can use it for jungle warfare training. 
So everyone, the community came out and really strongly and just said, uh-uh, no, only thing you should be studying is how you're going to clean it up and return this land to the family. And so we were able to stop that proposal. So I, I consider that a, an important win also. But I think in a, if, we, if we're talking about just from within the last like couple of years, um, or even just out of coming out of the Red Hill stuff, like the new, the sort of new energy that you see among young organizers to take on demilitarization as one of their key areas of organizing, of, of activism, uh, which you haven't really seen that kind of energy since, since the 90s or since the 80s and 90s, maybe the 70s at times. Um, is really exciting because you now have pretty much a lot of where a lot of the funding and a lot of the thinking around militarization and war had been sort of fallen away and lost to sort of other issues. Now we're coming back to a time where people are revisiting that. Young people are, are, are wanting to like figure out ways to do counter recruitment in the schools. They're, they're asking questions about how do we remove the military and seeing that as part of occupation and seeing that as part of our you know, overall conversations around sovereignty in Hawaii um, and liberation in the Pacific. So I think that is, that a, is, shift. That is a huge shift mm -hmm. um, that, um, that I see as a win because it's that kind of energy and excitement and also those conversations are happening not just with the usual suspects, but there are folks in the military, from military families who are also questioning the role of themselves and the presence of the military in Hawaii. Yeah. So that is a huge shift where for maybe the first time ever in Hawaii, we're a little, for a moment, we were on the same side of we need to shut, this, shut down Red Hill. Uh, so I think that kind of shift, being able to open up those conversations that's a huge win, uh, and, and it allows for this, this little puka for us to organize um, and, and open up new conversations, create new like political theater, create new workshops, create all kinds of new fun uh, and exciting dynamic things going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think Red Hill was, you know, I don't want to say um, a gift, but it, it um, revealed hidden contradictions about the military presence and the violence that it inflicts. It just made it so apparent, it made it so real for, and people were sick, right? They were victims to this problem, but now everyone realized our shared vulnerability to this threat. And so that forged a kind of solidarity and unity that I hadn't seen before, you know, where politicians were now trying to get in front of the camera to say that they were for shutting down Red Hill. It's like, wow, really? This is, <laughs> I hope you keep that line when it's election, after election time is power, right? So we'll see what happens with that. But at least it created that conversation and new groups have come forward uh, you know, to take up this issue. So I think that's uh, super exciting too. Yeah, and of course community organizing and pressure sort of pushed the state to push the DOT yeah. <laughs> to, to actually say that it's going to shut down Red Hill even if they haven't yet. Um, so right. that, that is definitely a win in terms of organizing. It wasn't Josh Green. It wasn't Josh Green. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> no, it was, uh, yeah. So getting like sort of like help, you know, that that community uprising kind of gave, you know, backing to, you know, Kai Kahele and different folks to call for, you know, to, to start pushing the DOD in yeah. ways that the state never has. So, you know, the, these, are, these are all, I think, 
small but significant wins, you know. I think that one thing super interesting about that too, though, is that, you know, we hear a lot of times, even among folks who are doing activist work, but um, maybe they want to focus on like growing things and taking care of the environment or whatever. Sometimes they, I, I feel like there's, there's some judgment made about like, oh, well, protests and all that is so passe, that's so like 1970s or something, you know, and, and there's a kind of a, like a de um, devaluation of that or feeling like it's somehow we, we've passed that point in time. It's like, no, we really, that, uh, what Red Hill reveals is that we need um, both, right? We need folks who are building uh, our, our knowledge, our skill set, uh, our capacities, the material capacities, but also, you know, to be able to uh, generate the heat, to generate the pressure, uh, that's necessary to move anything. Even if you've got good people inside, they can't move if there's no space to move. And that's what um, the activism on the street does, is to create that political space. So we should get more respect. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I want to ask you, because you were talking about some of these past battles and some victories, and also this new energy with younger organizers coming in. So what are, you think, some key lessons from past movements um, that you think it's important for these young organizers coming in who have all this energy and enthusiasm to sort of you know, learn from the past as we're looking ahead to the 2029 leases or to some of these other ongoing struggles? I mean, where do you begin? There's, <laughs> there's so many things. So one of the things that's, um, that's challenging, now that the, the significant difference obviously is social media. And a lot of folks think if you've got a really huge platform and you put out really great Instagram, that that's organizing, that that's movement building. And it, what it, it does change the narrative and influences the narrative, but it's not organizing. It's not the same thing as us sitting here together, having a conversation, going door knocking, or actually you know, going up, like having that embodied experience of rising up against the state. Um, but also the level of, people forget that a lot of those old activists and contemporary activists do a lot of research. We do a lot of, we do a lot of study, we do a lot of, looking at past movements and what were winnable, what things were winnable, how people could address the state. The state is really, hasn't moved that much. Like, it's not that complicated. It still has a Cold War mindset, uh, obviously, because of the way you look at the way they're building up against China, right? Um, it's like something out of the 50s, right? What, what a lot of folks don't, like, so there's just a deep lack of information or knowledge around how significant, how much those fights in the 70s really changed the tide of, 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 of building power, right? Uh, the idea of being able to build power, right? So there's a huge realm of pessimism uh, and also this sort of weird rising tide of libertarian and fascist thought that comes out where there's a void of lack of clear organizing and um, clarity around your strategy and vision. And that's something that you can really gain from some of the older movements or some of uh, the older organizers uh, who, you know, it's, we're not just air quotes. We're, we're folks who've really like looked at things on the ground and see how power works and how you can build power, right? So I think that's something that can really be, that's really important for any movement, not just for young, young organizers, but for any organizers is understanding how significant understanding strategy and taking the time to, to know your enemy, so to speak, and be clear about who your enemy is, right? We love to take each other out, 
but you know, being clear that like it's it's the United States who took my country. That's what that's what I remember. So like I have I have to have clarity as to who where we actually focus our fight. Um, yeah, Kyle. I guess um, so. Just some some thoughts that came to mind were that from the movements in Hawaii, um, some of the stuff that I've been researching for my own academic work, but uh, just being involved is how much we have to um, work with the Aina itself as an actor, as a, a, an ally in mo making uh, movement happen. Uh, if we only think of it as a, as a place where actions happen upon, uh, we're missing the point about Aloha Aina as that kind of living relationship. Uh -huh. But where th those relationships are felt and deep and vibrant, uh, then Aina becomes your ally, right? And, and it does its own work to unsettle things. And, and we see that with Kaholawe, we see that with Makua, we see it with uh, what happened with Red Hill uh, and the movement of water. You can't, you can't contain it, right? And so it reveals the pain that it's undergoing and it helps us to also articulate what's happening. Um, something else I've been thinking about too is how much, um, the, how much of movement is about feeling powerful or feeling hopeful like like you know hope it's not every situation is hopeful but still even within times when it seems really like hopeless when it seems really bad uh we've got to see a way out and be able to help others see that way yeah right and and, and paint that picture because that's what that changes the whole set of possibilities if you don't see a way out uh, then then your world is closing in on you but if you can open up that space to see different futures, I think that that's super important. And part of that is in the feeling, right? So it's like how we create spaces that um, include and empower um, and, and value people's contributions and knowledge, uh, how we build you know, actions that are um, uplift people, that confront power in a way that don't make us um, feel vulnerable or, or threatened or whatever but we still must confront it, right? It, it can't be about not confronting power, but by doing it in smart ways uh, and, and in ways that weaken the power of our oppressors, I think that that's important. So the, the, the affect of the situation continues to build. Um, and another thought I had was just how much the other side also learns from its failures mm -hmm. and losses and how much they are also innovating, right? Mm -hmm. So the wins that we've had uh, many of them have been um, co-opted or have been captured in some way by the state or by capital uh, where, you know, they'll throw money at it so that they can, we love Aloha Aina, we'll fund it. Yeah. And now they've captured all those folks that just accepted that money and now will not say something that's happening right next yeah, door. Yeah, not right? critique the Navy, not, yeah. So that's the Navy's doing, the military does this with buying land and conserving it, right? Uh, and it, it basically is a way of, it's, it's using a counterinsurgency logic of pacification by, by removing opposition, whether through cajoling, coercion, uh, um, you know, um, seduction, uh, you, you, you pull people away from this opposition and you weaken the opposition, you weaken the movement as a whole. And I think we need to be, we need to take our wins and we need to consolidate those, but also not be seduced into thinking that that's enough or, or that, that, that 
gives us a pass so that we don't have to speak out against something else that's happening. Because then I think our movement has been divided at that point. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many more things I could say. <laughs> I mean, like, there's just so many. It's understanding how Aloha Aina is central to, it's something that we need to consistently claim as ours. Um, we also need to, to change time, meaning like we're constantly responding to their timelines mm. and we need to, to, to basically change that, right? We need to recognize that we have, if we build enough power uh, and, and have clarity, right? We're, that we're always striving for clarity, then you can, you're putting them, you put them on notice. Then you put, they have to respond to our timelines and our deadlines and when we need things done. And that can only come when one, we, we build power with each other and educate each other and also recognize we can't do this alone, that we build out solidarity regionally, globally, with folks who are who agree with us, who are fighting, you know, right? The U.S. is occupying countries around the world, right? There's a ton of people who have our back, um, so we can't be we can't be uh, isolationist. We can't. We have to see right. our our connection to other people's struggles around the world, and when we do that, then you've got a global movement against militarism. Right. Or, or act except like this is an exceptional case, right? Yeah. Like Hawaii's so special. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're not exceptional in that sense, right? Yeah. So you mentioned um, earlier. You spoke a little bit about some of the programming that you've got going on right now. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit more specifically about like um, in the short term, what kind of goals are you? I know you're talking about building strategy toward the leases. So maybe like in the near term. What are some of the goals that you're working towards and, and excited about? Well, one thing that's really exciting is that we will be bringing on a youth organizer to build out a youth organizing committee to develop youth leadership um, and to help train younger folks around how to do campaign building, how to do political education, how to build out um, how to think through strategies around different different issues that are coming up. So that 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 part's really exciting. Um, I don't know what else are you thinking, Kyle. So that that would also involve some uh, um, organizing, maybe in schools or local communities that come together yeah. in a in a too bigger gathering, like a, a you know camp or a retreat or something, and and then kind of having series of those that build. Um, incorporating some of the political education work that Hui Aloha Aina was developing, I think, into modules that can be replicated uh, at different levels. And, um, yeah, and we're also planning on, hopefully, in 2024, gathering, a, a, creating a summit of folks that will coincide when the Festival of the Pacific is here and also RIMPAC comes back. It's having a coalition of of uh, folks from throughout the Pacific to come together and talk about how are we going to move forward together. So that's one thing that we're that's on the radar, uh, that's being pulled together. Uh, so those are all things that are those are goals that that are exciting in terms of how are we going to build power going forward. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, those are exciting. That's going to be 2024 with Ooh, with Festival Pacific already. and and Rimpac <laughs> here. That's going to be yeah. a really interesting time. It's going to be an interesting time. So I guess an add-on to that question would be, what are um, 
if you wanted to make a call out to people listening of how to plug in, you know, at different levels or things to show up to you, uh, what would you like to share? Well, we're in the process of updating our website and all of those online tools so that people can follow us, uh, donate money, sign up for uh, alerts. And so we apologize if you've tried to communicate with us before and uh, we, we've kind of fallen down on the job because our, our, um, our apparatus was not up to. But now it is. Now so. it is. And, so now, and yeah. having Joy on board has really helped. And it looks much cooler too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have, a, we have a whole new logo. We've got, um, so our website is pretty much up to date uh, if folks wanna, uh, and there's also, they can sign up for our newsletter that we're gonna be sending out uh, in September. Uh, and they can also kind of check in and see what events and news and things that we're, gonna, that we're I try to, I'm trying to like make sure anytime anybody from HBJ is gonna speak at something, which is often, I have to say, um, getting those flyers up and having folks know, kind of like being able to track us. Um, but yeah, so that's like, definitely track us on our, on our either on our social media accounts, there's Cold Futures, uh, there's, White Peace and Justice, obviously, on, on Facebook and Instagram, and I believe Twitter as well. Yeah. And we also have a website, Hawaii Peace and Justice. So for folks who don't know what Coa Futures is, Coa Futures is basically the campaign arm of Hawaii Peace and Justice. So if you think about all those things that I was talking about, Red Hill, uh, the leases, um, we, you know, those, that's kind of like th that area. Coa Futures is that umbrella for that. And then we've, we're also gonna possibly be building out a think tank and there's detours and there's um, our youth organizing. So all of these things, you know, kind of um, directly and indirectly fall under Coa Futures, right? So that's, and Coa Futures in thinking of a Coa, uh, Coa trees, right, like the coa seeds can like lie dormant while they're waiting, like under times of great stress, right? Um, and then they're, they can come back and repopulate the forest, right? Uh, and our new, and one of our symbols for our, our new logo is the alala, which is the Hawaiian crow, um, which is also a, a seed distributor for the koa. And they are also, you know, so these are both, you know, Codependent um, uh, beings in Hawaii who um, are both threatened by the presence of the military, by the presence of capitalism, that are presence by imperial, you know, that are threatened by imperialism, and so having these guys rise back up, being put, you know, thinking about the kind of that they have been so threatened, but they still exist. That's kind of how I, you know, that's how kind of how we're thinking about uh, Hawaii peace and justice nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, like uh, just to give a shout out to some of our coalition partners, because one of the ways that we function is to create a space that brings together and connects different communities and groups and struggles. So, you know, I've been working with Malama Makua for a long time. So that's an important uh, frontline um, movement that's getting trying to get Makua Valley, Valley back from the army. And I think we're we're very close to having some some things move there. Um, the Oahu Water Protectors. Uh, which we are a part of and we've helped to sponsor and organize. Uh, you know, that's if you want to uh, stay in touch on the Red Hill issue, uh, that would be a source for that. Also, Ka'ohevai, the Hawaiian group that also responded to Red Hill, they're also an important source of information. 
the uh, Ko'olau Waialua Alliance, which is uh, up in the North Shore, dealing with issues in Kahuku. They've been a key partner around the, the um, missile radar that's been proposed for Kahuku and trying to stop the leases from being renewed in Kahuku. Um, and yeah, so, yeah, and of course, Aina Ohonolulu, who is our partners in um, political education workshops. Uh, and so if folks are actually interested in doing those things, um, you can reach out to either us or to Huyoloha'aina uh, Ohonolulu to do those workshops. And we're actually building out new uh, components. Um, we're going to be maybe venturing into some other areas like labor and housing and some other things. So those are all things that are coming up. So if folks are interested in that, um, then both, definitely reach out to us and to Huyoloha'aina Ohonolulu um, to find out more about that piece. Yeah. So, um, Kyle, a few minutes ago you mentioned the importance of having that uh, way to see a, a way forward and to see that hope for the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're, you're just talking, sharing joy about Koa futures, right? So, you know, we ask everybody this, what is your vision for the future of Hawaii? Free Hawaii, decolonized, demilitarized, sustainable economics that put communities first, especially Kanaka Maoli, but also, you know, the new communities, the new arrivals to Hawaii, uh, to be integrated in a meaningful way and uh, so that we work in solidarity. Um, that we have uh, a way to care for each other, provide necessities like housing and food and you know, um, jobs that are not demeaning and exploitative, but that actually contribute to the well-being. Like we pay teachers crap. We pay, you know, there's a shortage of health care providers. And, you know, these are all kinds of things that we need. And yet there's no sort of priority. Uh, they prioritize buying land and developing condos that sit empty in Kaka'ako. So, like, we need to shift that, um, those priorities um, and center it back in Hawaii. Um, I just wanted to just say, and just one thing about like seeing into the future, sometimes you need to poke a hole in the present in order to see through, you know, and, and, and sometimes that, that hole comes in the form of a rupture of some kind, whether it's uh, one that was unplanned, like a, a ruptured fuel line that creates a kind of a new conditions, or sometimes it's ones that we create, but it, it sets events in motion, like uh, nine people go to Kaho'olawe despite the orders of the organizers to turn back and then two is decide to stay for three days and then history changes as a result of that. If not for some moments of rupture, of breaking through, um, uh, we, we won't, you know, shake loose the, the bounds of power. So sometimes those, the ones who are disruptive and all that, you know, we should really malama them because sometimes that's what we need to open up that space to see a future? Yeah, I would say that a future that involves a genuine security, so genuine security on like, some of those things that Kyle's already spoken to is having housing, having healthcare, having, you know, generative economies that are not extractive, um, you know, putting the aina first, right? Um, and obviously always for me is land back, it's getting our country back. Um, and we, we can't get free as long as the U.S. military is here. Mm. So um, 
we we need to imagine a future that is demilitarized. We really like that future and not filled with uranium filled soil, not filled with like heavy metals. You know, we already have that. We already have, I don't know how, countless Superfund sites in Hawaii. Uh, so I imagine a future where the military is cleaning itself up as it's leaving and it actually finishes the cleaning to as much as it can. So these guys who are taking advantage, like uh, corporations that are working alongside the military, right? So the military being there to secure trade, that's all they are there for, is to secure trade uh, and keep these lines, these trade lines open, right? It's all about capital outside of the continent. Um, is us reclaiming what we value, right? That and what what is important for us to to go forward and have, right? Because you, this is like the U.S. is it destroying its own atmosphere, right? The, the military is the, is the largest polluter on the planet. Uh, so, as much as you want to play, you know, like gather all this wealth, right? You can only take that so far if you don't have clean water. So I want, I would, you know, the future for me has clean water. And <laughs> has food, <laughs> um, air, um, air. You know, has oxygen that I can breathe. Um, so all of those things, uh, but and all of those have to come through. You know, like a, a restoration of our aina. Yeah. Uh, so. And I just would add that you know, to, for Hawaii to have those nice things <laughs> to be free, um, our our family in the Pacific also have to be free, right? Like, like, yeah. Exactly. It, it, because the problem is bigger than just us. And so if we only fight it in Makua or Kaho'olawe or whatever, and we don't change the, the relations across this region, mm -hmm. right, it will, that's why they keep saying, well, if not U.S., it'll be China or somebody else. No, it shouldn't be anybody else coming in and taking over, right? The Pacific should uh, take care of its own and develop its own future and vision. Uh, and we need space and time for the peoples of this region to do that, right? Right. So a neutral and peaceful Pacific, denuclearized, demilitarized, and you know people can visit, <laughs> but you can't maybe. occupy. Yeah, maybe <laughs> if you're nice, maybe. right? If you're respectful, right? But I mean, you know, I think that that's the thing. It's like this old geopolitical game. This is what's killing the planet. This is right. So we need a different paradigm, and I think the Pacific can be a place where some of that begins, because of yeah. the ways that Pacific peoples have related to each other over time yeah you know definitely our future begins by us seeing each other yeah and and acknowledging each other it's like we're not the only ones whose water is being poisoned by the united states yeah. guam is going through that right now yeah. uh, you know okinawa has been going, you know like there's all like there's so many places where the legacy of the u.s is now like when we look at the marshalls marshall islands right like this legacy this nuclear legacy that they've been living with and is now compounded by climate change, all being driven by first world nations, right? So, and the, the you know, and Australia and the South Pacific, and we're seeing this massive buildup going on in Australia and the South Pacific, like it's, you know, World War II. And so we need to look to each other to, mm -hmm. to combat this. Yeah. Uh, and these conversations are definitely, another one of our partners that I forgot to mention um, is Young Solwara Pacific, um, you know, the. Pacific, you know, Pacific Alliance Against Globalization. Like, there's these different networks throughout the South Pacific, uh, IPAN and different folks who are are also combating militarism, U.S. militarism, Australian militarism throughout the Pacific. 
uh, that we need to, to be in contact with, right? And, and we can have the future that we are envisioning, right? But that we have to see each other. We need to weave a net that can, you know, constrain this monster that's, these monsters, yeah. there, there are multiple yeah. ones that want to eat this place. Right. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, is there anything else you want to share? Any calls you want to put out? Any closing thoughts? No, just uh, thanks to Hawaii People's Fund for, uh, I'm really um, excited about the new directions that it's going and um, being more engaged than just handing out a check, but you know, really thinking about how to support communities at whatever level they're, they're um, developed at. Um, you know, that kind of, uh, like helping us, you know, with the insurance at La Hoihoiea, stuff like that, and making sure that people could be there in that space. You know, those are thoughtful, and I think that they uh, make a difference in terms of how we build, um, helping to build our movement. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what's next with HPF, including these podcasts, which is awesome. So thank you. Yeah, and, and just having gone through the files today, um, HPF has been part of the, like nearly every year of our existence uh, in terms of a constant uh, supporter and funder. So just, just deep gratitude for always being there to help fund, whether it's trips or new programs or whatever, um, just being that, that sort of consistent source in the community and excited to see where we, we all go collectively together into the future. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, we're excited to see 2029. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, mahalo, Nui. Yeah, thank mahalo. you. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me and me with additional support from Mickey. Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. A big thank you to our community supporters and to you, our audience, for listening. Ahui ho! Dim, spend, and done.